morning, everybody. Uh, morning. Uh, my name is Nathan Brown, and I'm one of the leaders here at Village. Uh, we're so glad you're here today. Uh, probably rethinking the whole horseshoe thing now at this point because we have pretty much a full crowd. Um, that was my decision. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so, uh, so, so excited uh, for our guests who are here today. We hope that you will uh, return to be with us uh, once more. Um, we have a young couple with our church who is getting uh, married today, and so we have a lot of our church family that's up there with them to celebrate them, including our pastor, uh, Andrew Elder. He's with them officiating the ceremony. Uh, so just as you remember them, pray for them as they unite in uh, marriage today. Uh, for those of you who don't really know me too well, uh, my family and I, have we moved from New Orleans uh, last summer. So we, we are uh, new to Belfast. We uh, I serve on staff here at Village. Um, so we lived in New Orleans for about a decade where we helped start a church uh, there in the city called Saints Community Church. So we were part of that. And our desire for moving here is we actually want to do that again. We want to plant another church. We want to start another church. Um, so we're looking at planting in the kind of the nationalist area of West Belfast. So um, something that's been on, on our hearts for many years now. So if, if you will, just, just pray for us as you remember us. Um, as we've got, there's so many things that have to happen uh, for that to even be a possibility. And then throw in all the complications with, with just be Belfast being Belfast. And, and uh, so you can see the, the struggles that we might face along the way. But please uh, be in prayer for us. Um, while today is not my first time preaching, uh, this is my first time preaching with Village, so it's, uh, it's, it's a joy for me to be able to do that today. Uh, we're, we are, as a family, experiencing a lot of firsts right now. Uh, my sons just finished up their first uh, school year here, so that was great. They love St. Joseph's. They've, they've had a great season there. Uh, this is our first marching season, and that's, you know, that's just, it is what it is. That's kind of a, just thinking of, you know, if you've never experienced that before like us, uh, you know, we, you, there's nothing you can tell me that will give me any indication of what it is. You just kind of have to experience it. And so we're kind of learning that. Um, and because we're new to Belfast, we're having to, you know, we're learning the culture. We're learning, okay, what do all these things represent? And so, uh, you know, flags everywhere. My goodness, the flags, right? And so we were traveling uh, last week. Uh, my wife and I were traveling east in, uh, near Newtonards. And as we're traveling... I just see a flag that I had never noticed before, and I'm, I'm like, Emily, what is that flag? I've never seen that flag before, and then that one flag turned into like a dozen flags, and then that dozen flags, there was like 40 of this flag, and so I slowed down to get a better glimpse of what it was, and I could see it clearly. It said, North Road Hand Car Wash Here, <laughs> and uh, so that's, yeah, we're learning a lot right now, um, so that's kind of our experience. Um, Let's, uh, let's dive into the book this morning. Actually, before we dive into James today, let us, let's just go to the Lord in, in prayer. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you that you are here among us, uh, that you are, you are here with us today. Um, I just pray that you would become greater and we would become less. I, I pray that you clear our minds, help us to receive from you today, help us to understand. Uh, let me have clarity with the, your word today. I pray even more so that our hearts would be softened to what you have to say, Lord, that we would receive from that and, and that we would um, learn to trust in you in greater capacity, Lord, we pray. Amen. Um, so we are jumping back into the book of James. Um, Andrew Elder uh, started us out with verses 1 through 4 two weeks ago, and so looking forward to being back in it again. Uh, James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. 
uh, James. And so imagine, like, he, had, he probably had a very difficult childhood um, having a brother who's perfect all the time. Like, you can imagine that's probably a hard thing to do, trusting that Jesus is the Lord's Savior if he's your brother. Um, so that's just kind of its, its own miracle in and of itself. Um, but then after uh, the, after, you know, so James was a part of the ministry of Jesus. He uh, was there at the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And then following that, James, um, after Jesus departs to heaven, James becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church there. And so we know that this letter that we're reading today is written to a people who are facing persecution. They're facing opposition, hardship, difficulty. And so they were persecuted because of their faith. Um, some of them lost their homes, some of them lost their jobs, some of them lost their community that they knew and loved, some of them lost loved ones, some of them lost their own lives. And so this letter is, all has, this letter is being written uh, with that in mind, that these people are experiencing real trials and real difficulty today. And so James has so much wisdom that we can glean from today, um, and a lot of things that as you're reading, if you read the book of James, you're going to feel a lot of conviction. There's going to be a lot of things that, man, that kind of, that, that kind of stung a little bit, James. I wish you weren't so, so mean to me personally. Uh, but James is a, is a letter that was written with great wisdom. In fact, a lot of theologians call it the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, there's a lot of similarities between what James has to say and what is what uh, Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's so many things that we can glean from today, uh, but he's known mainly for not uh, being afraid to step on your toes. He's not afraid to get up all in your business. He's not afraid to call you out on what's going on with, this, with sin in your life. He's not afraid to do that. And so there's so many verses that we can understand just by themselves in the book of James uh, but this passage that we're reading through today, where it says that any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. We need to understand before we get going that this is all seen in the context of trials. In verse 2, when it says, when you meet trials of various kinds, um, this is what he is referring to. We all have a need for wisdom as we are facing trials, as we're facing hardship and difficulty. We need wisdom from God. We all need general wisdom, yes, but when we are going through a trial and when we're going through a difficulty, that's really when we need that God-given supernatural wisdom to get us through it. So let's, let's just dive in today, verse 5 here. It says that if any of you lacks wisdom, I think it's very important before we get going, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities there between wisdom and knowledge. A lot of times they get kind of lumped together, kind of get muddied. We need to kind of break that distinction down. So we need to understand what the difference is between knowledge, and we need to know the distinction between wisdom. Um, it's been said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, right? But wisdom is knowing that you don't put the tomato in a fruit salad, okay? It's just wisdom there. Uh, knowledge is uh, knowing that you, you can take something very complex apart, but wisdom is knowing that you can put it back together again, uh, one of our pastor friends back in the States says this about wisdom. It's very simple. It's that wisdom is just knowing simply what to do next. When you don't know what to do, it's just knowing what to do next. So if there's ever been something where you have, you know, you've hit a brick wall on and you don't really know how to proceed, you don't know the next step to take, you have a need for wisdom today. Uh, many of you have heard our stories about kind of how we got here. With, we, we had some difficulty getting a visa 
Uh, in fact, everything was moving forward very quickly for us. We felt like the Lord was moving us to Belfast in, in June of 2019. Uh, so my wife and I, Emily, we, we sold our house. We listed our home. And in two days, we had three offers on our home. We sold our house very quickly. Things just were moving. So we started selling all of our possessions. We, we sold our vehicles. We uh, packed our bags. We were ready. The only small thing we needed was just the British government to say, uh, Village is a perfectly great place to sponsor a visa. Uh, they, that was all we needed. And so if, if Village was sponsored uh, to, if, if Visa was approved to sponsor our Visa, then we could come on and move here. And so then the denials came. <laughs> we had one denial, then two, then three, then four, all for stupid reasons. All, there, was, there was one application, uh, the attorney, the solicitor filed the wrong application. Like, how do you file the wrong application? And and there was just so many things that were just timelines that were not met and things that happened. And it was just one frustration after another. And we were at that time, because we had sold our home, we were, we were living with family in kind of a cramped uh, living situation. And so it didn't matter how much we prayed. It was just like there was, was this brick wall that we kept facing. And so ultimately, we just said, God, we, are just, we love Belfast. We feel like you are calling us to move here, to do ministry here. And so we don't know exactly what you're doing and why there's so many delays. But if you are redirecting our paths, you know, we want to be, be aware of that and we want to follow you in that. So we just, we just said, Lord, we're giving all this away to you. You do what you want to with it. And so immediately after that happened, there was three opportunities that presented itself to us. We had an opportunity to move to Spain, which is like, that's pretty cool, right? Uh, so Spain, uh, the Midwestern U.S. for uh, Missouri and Iceland, of all places. Thank God he didn't call us to Iceland. That'd be horrible. Um, no offense if you're from Iceland here. Um, and so we just, kept, we just said, Lord, you know, if this is where you're wanting to go. And in two days, like, Spain was in the middle of the pandemic. That went away. Um, the, we had a situation with the, the Midwestern U.S. That fell through. And luckily, Iceland, that door never even really cracked um, so we're grateful for that opportunity. So we just said, okay, God, you're going you're gonna to get us here. We're, just, we're believing in faith that you're going to get us here, and we're just going to continue to press on. You know, we all reach a place when we're facing trials, and we just, we just need a real answer from the Lord. Um, because the truth is that all of us are, are either in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a difficult season, we just got out of a difficult season, or we're about to enter a difficult season. All of us are going to face trials at some point. Um, and we don't understand why these things happen. We don't understand why that disability came, or why that job was furloughed, or why um, that cancer struck a loved one, or why we had that difficult relationship with a parent. We don't know it. But in the midst of that, what does James say? In verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Because when we are going through a trial, it's wisdom that we need. We need wisdom on how to get through it. Um, you know, there's, there's three ways that we, we can learn, we, we obtain wisdom. Um, we obtain wisdom through knowledge. We obtain wisdom through perspective. And we obtain wisdom through experience. Um, so knowledge, the reason this trial is difficult for us is because we don't know all of what's going on here. We're kind of confused. We don't know everything. We don't know every single circumstance that's happening. 
with perspective, we can't see all the, all the details, all the things that are, that are taking place here. We, just, we can't see clearly. And with experience, that's usually why the uh, trials are as difficult as they are, is because as we're facing trials, we've never been through it, this kind of situation before, and so we don't really know how to proceed. But God is all-knowing. He has all the knowledge. He is omniscient. Um, he is able to know every single circumstance. He has eternal perspective. He knows the end from the beginning. He, he knows uh, not just the, uh, the situation perfectly, but he knows even the inner thoughts and inner motives of people that are involved in that situation. He knows the deepest level um, of perspective. And with experience, like Christ passed every single trial and situation with flying colors. Every single thing that came his way, he passed. And so regardless of what situation we're going through, we know that the Lord has knowledge. He has, he has the perspective and he has the experience as we're going through that. And so think about how amazing that is for just a second, that God wants to give his wisdom to us. You know, he knows everything. He, he knows the end from the beginning. He, he knows all of this stuff. And so God is willing to give all of that to us. Um, he, he's not, he, he'll never say to us, you know, I'm sorry, I, I didn't see that coming. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't expect for that to happen, or I wasn't aware fully of this, you know, in the background. No, he, he knows all of this, and he wants to give his wisdom generously to us. You know, James is, when it says here, let him ask God, this is a, an imperative command that James is giving us. He's saying, let him ask God. If you're lacking wisdom, ask God. Um, and that may seem like a dumb statement to you. Like, of course, you would ask God. Of course, like, he's, he's the one you would go to. But I've got to be honest. Like, that's not usually what ends up happening for me oftentimes. Um, usually the first thing I do is my poor wife has to hear the brunt of my complaints. And like, oh, you know, I've, I've got to explain everything. This is why I'm feeling this way. And this is why I'm sad. And this is, why, this is so difficult. And she's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you in it. Um, and then... After I talk to my wife, then I go to my friends and tell them, hey, this is what I'm going through, you know, just remember me, pray for me, um, you know, and then, then, you know, if it's really serious, I'll go to a pastor or a friend that I trust, or I may even go to a book or a podcast on the subject, try to get a better perspective on it. I'm like, oh yeah, God, like God, you're the one I need to run to. Um, but even if we don't do that, if you, if you can say, you know, God, you're the one I always run to when something comes, becomes difficult, um, oftentimes, the alternative is that we'll go to God and say, God, take this trial away from me. Take this difficulty and hardship away from me. I, I just want it out of my sight. I just want life to go back to normal. But the Lord says, instead of asking for that trial to go away, ask for wisdom in the midst of that trial. Uh, if you're taking notes today, I just have a few points here that you can write down. Uh, the one we're looking first is uh, wisdom requires a posture of dependence. Wisdom requires a posture of dependence. You see, our hardships will always either lead us to a greater dependence on God or they will cause us to have a greater independence from him. Um, they will either force us to our feet in prayer or they're going to force us to our feet in, in running away in anger and resentment. They're going to bring us to a place of increased trust and faith in him, or they're going to have us so turned off by a relationship with God. But the Lord is using these moments of difficulty and trial to give us, he's actually allowing us the opportunity to, where our, our faith is being tested. He's testing the genuineness 
of our faith. And this test isn't for him necessarily as much as it is for us. Um, As Emily read in verse 3, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Um, Testing here. When, When James wrote this letter, his audience in the first century would have completely understood exactly what he was saying. When he was saying the testing of your faith... Um, this would be similar to a smelter who is testing uh, metal. You put these um, those earthen metals and you put them under extreme trial, under extreme heat, and the slag, the impurities, the the the, the dross, um, they, they they separate completely from the pure metal. And that's what God is doing in the midst of these trials. He's actually making us more like him in the process. He's using those trials and hardships to refine us, to make us more like him, to make us more holy like him. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I have two boys, Gideon and, and Titus, and um, they've been entrusted to their, their mom and dad. We, we're responsible for training them up in the ways of God to disciple them and to guide them in the, in the way that they should go. But we're also like, our job, any parent, regardless of religion or background or culture, like the job of a parent is to make sure that the kids are ready for the next stage of life, right? So our, our job as a parent is to prepare them, give them real life skills so that when they're 18, 20 and they're, they're booted from the house, they leave the nest, that they're able to like survive on their own. They know how to treat people. They know how to give a handshake. They know how to uh, change a tire. They know how to cook a meal. They know how to do laundry. They know how to... Um, unclog a sink, whatever that looks like. They, they are prepared so that when they do leave our home, they're able to properly um, survive out in the real world. And so something that I've just been thinking on so much this week is that while we so desperately as parents want to push our children more and more towards greater independence from us, that's not true from God. God actually is wanting us, he's, he's desperate for us to become more and more dependent on him. He doesn't want us to be independent of him. He wants us to be completely dependent on him for every matter that comes its way, no matter how big or how small, no matter how difficult that trial is. He wants us to uh, run to him in dependence of him. Um, Isaiah 41, 13 says this, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear that I will help you. Um, just think of my, my, my smallest son, Titus. He's seven, but every single time we're walking on the uh, crossing a bu- busy intersection, he always reaches for my hand because he knows I'm a place of safety. He knows I'm a place of refuge. He, he feels this comfort uh, with holding my hand. He knows I'm going to protect him from harm. It's a place uh, where he, he knows that he can run to safely. It's the same way with the Lord. He wants us to run to him. He wants us to, to long for his help in the midst of our difficulty and trial. He wants us to run to him. Um, a famous theologian, J.I. Packer, um, said it this way, that not until we have become humble and teachable and dependent, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. See, wisdom requires that posture of dependence. If we're needing wisdom, we have to run to him. Let's continue on in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Um, James just clearly says, if, it's a, if you're facing this impossible circumstance and trial, run to God. He will give you that wisdom generously and without reproach. And there's just a few things that you can pull out from this very easily, that God is a giving God. 
God is a given God that speaks to his character. That's who he is naturally. Anyone who humbles themselves to God and says, God, I need you, he's going to respond to that. He's going to give to that. Um, secondly, it says that he gives generously to all. The Lord doesn't have, uh, the Lord doesn't have favorites. Um, he, do, he doesn't love me more than he loves Rachel or Joe or Emily or Timmy or whoever. He has no favorite re- recipients of his gifts, but gives to everyone. All classes, races, types of people, he does that. He gives that generously to all. Third, not only does he give you what you need and promise to do so generously, it says that he's going to do that without reproach. Without reproach means that he, he doesn't uh, shame you for having a need. He doesn't humiliate you. He doesn't gaslight you. He doesn't, uh, he's not condescending to you um, because regardless of your failures and your shortcomings, he just doesn't do that. It's not in his nature. And lastly, God promises to answer those who earnestly humble themselves and seek his wisdom. That's good, to, that's good news for us today. Because the Lord is not just the, the promise maker, but he's also the promise keeper for us. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount um, when he said this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? There's again that childlike dependence the Father wants from us today. He wants us to come with him um, with every trial, every difficulty, every hardship, everything that we're having uh, pain with. He wants us to run to him. Uh, but if we, if, we don't, if we just stop here and leave that as, as it is, we, we, we're going to run into some, some difficulty because there's actually a few more strings attached. We're going to find out in verse 6, 7, and 8. There's some strings, there's some terms and conditions that we kind of have to wrestle with. And that's this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Let him ask in faith with no doubting in verse 6 there. Now, as I, as I stated earlier, wisdom requires that posture of dependence, it's, it's, it's twofold there. We, we, not just, we, we do not just have a need for God to faithfully supply his wisdom. We also have a need uh, to trust the Lord at his word. The word, the word doubting here is often uh, translated as hesitating or wavering. Those are words that are common, commonly used for doubting. Um, hesitating often implies that we have other alternatives. We have other options on our plate and so we're going to seek them out alongside with whatever the Lord is offering us. Um, doubting can imply that we may not like what God has to say in the first place, and so we just have some other options in our back pocket just in case. It's, it's kind of like someone who would, um, you know, you have an appointment that you don't really look forward to, and so you kind of put it in pencil, and you really hope something else comes along that you can kind of erase that thing out of your calendar so you can go to something else. We often do that with the Lord. We often do that with him. Um, the real reality is that when we are placed in a position of doubt, that's actually when we often seek alternatives, when we seek other alternatives to, to what he has for us. Uh, I'm thinking of Abraham here. When, when you know, he was given a promise, at age 75, the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to have a son through your wife, Sarah. So this was at 75, and then the years passed by. And he got older and older. And uh, eventually, he starts to seek out other alternatives. You know, he sleeps with his concubine, Hagar, has Ishmael. 
Um, and yet he still didn't see that promise fulfilled until he was 100 years old. 25 years passed from the time the promise was given to him. And he went through a period where he doubted the Lord and went through other alternatives. And it wasn't until 100 that he saw the birth of his, of, of his son Isaac. Uh, and we do the same. Especially as time goes on, we get a little bit more desperate. We get a little bit more anxiety. Um, you know, when I was getting out of uni, um, like online dating was just kind of starting to be a thing. Now it's like a full-blown enterprise. You can't escape it. Um, you know, things like Tinder, like you can connect with someone very easily based, you know, completely on their looks. And I know a few people who have like completely met their spouses online and have a great relationship and, and but I also know many more who've been hurt and who've gone through extreme loss and pain because they've gone through that process because they are looking from wisdom, not from above, not from God in that moment, but they're looking from the wisdom of the world. Are we confident that we know the difference? And I think we need to ask ourselves, forget the tender stuff, but what other alternatives are we seeking out today? What, what, in what ways are we doubting God? In what ways are we, we hesitating with, with God? Um, in, in Jude, verse 22, it says that we, as people, need to be merciful to those who doubt, but we also need to save others by snatching them from the fire. Um, and I want to do that today. I want us to be able to, like, I want to be merciful. If you're going through a period where you're really doubting God, I want to be able to be merciful uh, today. But also I want you to know that some of your troubles could actually lead you to your own destruction if you're not careful. You have to be wise with that. And we have to seek out the Lord for that. Um, we have to ask, you know, Lord, show to me how I'm wavering. How am I hesitating? How am I doubting you today? Because like Abraham, the longer we stew, the longer we sit in that moment of difficulty, that trial, the longer we have to wait on the Lord, that's usually when our doubt has a tendency to increase. And we need, we need him desperately. Back to the passage here. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, and he is unstable in all of his ways. Um, so James here des- describes this double-minded, doubting person like a wave who is being tossed to and fro, um, like a wave in the sea. He's not giving us a picture of a, a, of a big wave that's crashing onto rocks. He's, he's not doing that. He's actually giving us a, a big wave that's just kind of going every which way in the open, open sea. That's the way, that's way he's wanting to give us today. And just like the wave, the double-minded person here is a fitting description of someone who is in a season of doubting God. Because a wave of the sea is without rest, and so is the doubter. A wave of the sea is directionless. It's aimless. It has no direction, it's, and so is the doubter. Um, a wave of the sea lacks stability, is driven by the winds and the currents, and, and so is the doubter. And a wave of the sea is capable, ultimately, of destruction, immense destruction, and so is the doubter. Um, if you're taking notes again today, we must be aware of the current. We must be aware of the current. Um, I'm reminded of what we studied just recently last fall in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, that therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
We, we must ask ourselves, what are the winds, the, the currents that are in our lives that are causing us to be tossed to and fro? Or a better way to ask this is, what are you currently currented by? What are you currently currented by? Are you being swayed by your current uh, emotions? Are you uh, maybe by past hurt? You have harbored unforgiveness. What are maybe the wicked actions that others have done to you, your family, your community? Are we, are we allowing others to negatively impact our walk with the Lord? Um, we must pay close, at, close attention here um, because we all have a tendency to drift otherwise. So that, that question remains, how do we avoid drifting? How do we avoid being like that wave that's tossed to and fro by the wind? I think we get a, a little bit of a clarity in, in when it says that he is, in verse 8, that he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Um, that word double-minded here is, uh, the Greek for that is uh, disikos, which is D, which is di, uh, two. Um, and then psychos, which is where we get psychology, it's mind. So you literally have two minds. And what James is conveying here is that we are a people of divided loyalties. We're a people that we can have two minds because we actually have two loyalties. Let me try to explain this. Um, so I think we all probably know someone who's, who is really extremely healthy, who ate right, who exercised, who is, who is always like aware of taking care of their health and yet they succumbed to cancer. And that even though they were very loyal to their bodies, their bodies weren't necessarily loyal to them back. Or, or personally for me, like what happens when, like Nathan, I, I am known as um, the people who know me best, they know me as being very hardworking, driven kind of in, an individual. But what happens when I'm suddenly unemployed and I'm without any income for months on end um, when my job has been furloughed? And let's dive even deeper. Uh, we all have loyalties to other things that, to, to things other than God, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, we, we make a commitment as, as spouses that we're going to be loyal to one another, loyal to our children, loyal to be good citizens, loyal to be good employees, whatever that looks like. Um, but what happens when uh, our loyalty to God is challenged by a loyalty to another? And that drives home the rationale of why we often doubt God in the very first place, because we are a people of divided loyalties. It doesn't matter who you are in the room today, if you are not even a believer in Jesus Christ or you are an elder in our church, you all, um, I, myself included, we all have divided loyalties. And trials, these trials that we're experiencing speak to those loyalties in ways that we can't even anticipate or imagine. So, question is, how do we end our doubting? How do we end our double-mindedness? Because we all have moments where we doubt, where we are double-minded. And that is this, that we must anchor our loyalties. We must anchor our loyalties. Because the reason that we are prone to drift, the, the reason that we're driven to and fro by the winds, by the currents, the reason that we are being currently currented by whatever is going on in our lives is because we're not truly 100% anchored in Christ. Um, thinking what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, Everyone then who has ears, um, sorry, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, the wind blew and the beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What is wisdom? Wisdom is seeking to be anchored in the rock, to be anchored in Jesus. Um, What are we anchored by? Um, This week I've been thinking a lot about um, there was a condo in Florida that collapsed this week, or I guess about two weeks ago, it's June 24th, and about 100 people that were in the condo, um, over 100 people died in that accident. And so people have been trying to figure out what's going on. Journalists have been like scouring records and being tr- trying to determine what had happened. And essentially, there's, there's two things that happen. The first thing that they notice is that the, the ground underneath the condo, it's built on sand, and the, the sand has been sinking. The foundation has been sinking. And that, in turn, has caused a crack that went the length of a swimming pool area at the condo. That was fine and good. They were aware of it. They were planning on making repairs to it. Um, it got really pricey, and so they were kind of putting it off and like, hey, can we try to figure this out maybe at a later time, that sort of thing. And ultimately what happened, that crack went through the swimming pool, and all the water from the swimming pool apparently went down to the, the foundation where that sand was and caused that foundation to become much more unstable, and ultimately the, the condo began to kind of collapse pancake on itself. Um, it's a horrible, horrible accident, but that condo wouldn't have collapsed if it was built on bedrock. None of that would have ever happened. Um, And I think God in his mercy allows the trials that we're going through to let us see clearly the foundational cracks that are in our lives. We don't like those experiences. We hate those experiences. Let's just be honest. But those trials are actually being used as the mercy of God to actually show us the foundational cracks that are in our lives Um, They give us clarity about our relationship with God, where our loyalties actually do lie, and what our believers, what we as believers have our houses truly built on. Um, You know, being transparent here, every single trial that I have ever experienced looking back on my life, it has always been because my house has not ever been fully on Christ the Rock. Um, often what happens, we, we as believers um, in Christ will we'll say, you know, well, we're not on the sand, I know that, but we're also kind of not on the rock either with our lives. Oftentimes we've kind of built it in this kind of weird area where we're half on the rock and half on the sand. And these trials that we're experiencing are actually allowing us to see how unstable, how double-minded we are, how, how, um, how in which ways that Jesus Christ is not the true foundational cornerstone of our life. So James presents all this to us. It's very challenging. It's very convicting to us. He wants us to examine our faith today um, because we may say that we trust God, but functionally, a lot of the times, we're just very good Christian atheist. <laughs> we say we believe in God, but our lives don't really match up with that. Um, we look for other alternatives. We, we have doubts. We're not finding our true satisfaction and and hope and trust in him. So as we conclude this morning, I just want to say that we need the Lord so desperately, especially as we're going through trials. We need his wisdom. Because our first parents, when they sinned, you know, we were were completely whole. Our our lives were perfect and complete. That's what James says in verse 4 here, that perfect and complete Uh, But because the stain of sin got involved in our life, our system is broken. Like, hardship is our promise. Trials 
difficulty are, are to be expected. And James knows that we are a fractured people, that we are not a whole people, we're not whole and perfect, but that we're a fractured people, that we have glaring inconsistencies with our character, and we're all more compromised than we care to admit. But God, God's on a mission to restore us. He's, he's on a mission to restore this, these fractured, broken people to himself, to glue them together, to make them whole again. And he does that through Christ. Um, as I said earlier, only Jesus was able to pass every single test that went his way. Um, Jesus lived a life of perfection that we could never even come close to. He passed every single test, every single temptation, every single trial, every single difficulty that came his way, every opportunity he passed with flying colors. And he didn't just stop there. He wasn't just a good moral example to follow. Jesus died the perfect death that we all deserve because of our sin, because of our imperfections. We all deserve like the full wrath of God, but God in his goodness, he sent Jesus to die on our behalf to become the wisdom of God for us. And so as we, as we leave this uh, message today, I just want us to saturate our hopes and our thoughts on that, that true wisdom can only be found in Christ. He's the solution. If you're going through a trial today, um, you need the wisdom of the Lord. He's the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for being wisdom in the face of our trials. Thank you that you have all the answers that we can come to you, Lord, because you have eternal knowledge. You have eternal uh, wisdom. You have eternal perspective. Um, Lord, just thank you for that. I thank you that you are patient with us, and even though we're fractured people, Lord, you want to make us whole through your work on the cross. I thank you for that, Lord. pray that you would guide us and direct us today for the rest of the service. We pray.